Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 28th, 2022. It is currently 1249 p.m. Central Time. And once again, I'm sitting here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And once again, well, I I kind of made a mistake. I, I kind of made a mistake. Let me explain. One of the things I absolutely love, and maybe this will make sense to you, maybe maybe this will just sound crazy to you, but but it will demonstrate something about my personality. Now, just just stay with me because this somewhat of a lengthy introduction is going to fit in perfectly with this topic that we have to return to. But the reason we have to return to this topic is because there's just something, a part of my personality, something, you may say something is wrong with me, but it's just something in the way I think. When I'm sitting here behind this microphone doing live broadcast, I love that feeling of everything being in real time. In other words, I don't like to record an episode and then upload it. I I like everything to be happening in real time. So I give the date, I give the time, and I like to be talking about things as they are happening. So when I'm sitting here doing live broadcast and a news story breaks or, or, or something happens, in many cases, I will shove everything else to the side and then go live and talk about that very thing. Because I just like, I like there, I like it to be the idea that if something is going on, you, you tune into the Theology Central podcast and you'll, you'll get the latest information about whatever is going on. And some, in some way, I like that feeling. Now, if you pay attention to this podcast, you know that I don't actually do a great job of that because I also understand Limit that I have I have limitations in what I can and cannot do, but I love that feeling. I love that feeling of listening to radio, and and I don't like radio where they basically just have you know voiceovers recorded for different spots. I like the idea of radio where there's a real person sitting in a studio and at any moment can break in and talk about something happening in real time. Hey, this just happened. This is going on. I like that, that that there's a real person talking about what's going on in real time. And I've always loved or imagined, and, and, and again, maybe this is just something with my personality. I've always imagined that there are pastors all over the United States of America with a microphone sitting in their office. And as soon as something is going on, they can turn on that microphone and go live and talk about what's happening in real time. In other words, Christians can can be able to tune in to their pastors, their under shepherds, their, their, the shepherds of them, humanly speaking, not the great shepherd, but the shepherd going, hey, let's discuss this. Let's talk about this. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to be warned about. And that pastors could just turn on the microphone and talk about anything in real time. And I that I, I know I keep stressing it in real time. It just there's something about that that I just love. I, I just I love that idea. I don't like yeah, yeah you you're talking you're talking about that a week after the fact. You're talking about that 
72 hours after the fact that that it's it's almost irrelevant now or it's almost old news i like when things as they are happening i can immediately hear information about it i just love that that the, the technology provides us that ability but even not only does it provide it in a different way in 2022 it's been that way for a very long time. I mean, radio, there, there were real people sitting in a, a studio with a microphone and could break in and go, we just got hurt. We just heard this, or I just heard this, or this is what's going on. And they could react to it in real time. I love that. For some reason, many people don't really care. They don't really care if it's, <laughs> I don't think they care if it's a real person. I don't think they care if it's hours after the fact I don't think some people care. Now, I do realize that I'm limited in what I can do. And I do understand that in the past, I tried to go with this idea and it became detrimental to me spiritually, detrimental to my family, detrimental to my church. And so I, I've tried to, 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 to protect myself in some ways. Let, let me explain. And I know you're thinking, what does this have to do with anything? Just, just stay with me. Um, a law, many, many years ago, what, it's been seven years ago now, eight years ago, I don't even remember, a very, very long time ago, and not only was I in the military, full-time job, not only was I a pastor, basically a full-time job, so I had two full-time jobs, I ended up finding myself with a third full-time job, doing a podcast that was focused really on news. And in my mind, even though I'm one person, I almost wanted to turn my podcast almost into like a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week news channel where at any moment when something was going on, I could turn on the microphone and talk about it in real time. And I, I thought, this is, this is so important. Here, Christians, at any time when something is going on, they can turn into a source that will talk about it in real time, not pre-recorded, not overly edited, but just real life. Here's someone talking about what is going on as close to real time as possible. Now, obviously, that's a foolish concept when you already have two full-time jobs. You also are, are a husband and a father. Uh, <laughs> and now you've basically taken on a third full-time job. And somehow in, your, in my twisted mind, I could... I could be recording in the morning, in the afternoon. I was literally trying to record episodes as I was driving home uh, to lunch uh, during the workday. I had a, a portable microphone, and I would like try to record things while I'm driving home for lunch and then trying to record something else as I'm driving back to work. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just insane, I, what I was trying to do. The, the motivation was good because I liked that real-time Hey, if there's something going on, they'll be the one to talk about it. So now I try to stay away from news to a certain degree or a certain level because once you get once you get into covering news, then I mean, you're, I mean, your podcast, if you're going to do anything related to news, unless it's up to the minute, it becomes irrelevant quickly. The news cycle moves so so quickly. So I, I realized that that was detrimental to my spiritual life. So I try to focus more on spiritual things. But I still like that that spontaneity, that that right there, that on the spot. But I understand that I have limitation limitations. I understand that. But on Wednesday, I fell back into this trap. So here I am. I'm doing live broadcast. We're talking about a lot of important biblical theological issues. 
I'm getting ready to pack everything up. I'm getting ready to go home. Everything's great. And all of a sudden I get a notification on my iPad of a brand new article and a brand new podcast that was just dropped via Christianity Today. All right, that's right there. It just literally happened. And so what did I do? I couldn't resist. I could not stop myself. I immediately hooked everything back up, plugged in the microphone, went live and said, hey guys, this podcast just got, just dropped on Christianity Today and we're going to take some time to talk about it. And I introduced everyone to the subject and well, clearly I wasn't able to finish it. Now it's Friday, okay? So because I wasn't able to make it here yesterday, so now is it still even relevant? Does it, anyone still care? But we didn't finish it, so now I need to complete it. And maybe what I should have done is just said, you know what? I don't need to let everyone know. But see, I felt that I got to break in right now and tell everyone what is going on right at this second. I I put this like, I, I not only do I put this pressure on me, it's not even about pressure anymore. It's just, I love that. I love that, that idea that, hey guys, this literally, this is just happening right now. At this moment, I like to be, I like to be talking about things as they're happening first, early. Um, I, I really love that. And, you know, but there's, there's only so much you can do. The only way for that to work is you need to create a team. You need a team of people, right? So that everyone has certain hours of the day, like, okay, you go live, then I'll go. I've always, even back way back uh, a long time ago when I did more of the news focused podcast from a Christian perspective, I really wanted to create, I tried to get as many people involved as possible, but other pastors did not have the same vision as I did for it. They, they're like, yeah, whatever, you know, who cares? And I've always been like, no, 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 we, we can be talking to Christians and let, helping them develop a biblical worldview literally as things are happening. Christianity too many times is so reactive, right? We're so like, okay, yeah, everyone's talking about that. It's like a year old now. Oh, let's jump in and do now 500 podcasts about it. Well, it's a year old. Everyone's moved on. Christianity sometimes is so reactive that we're almost... We're almost reacting to things that no longer even matter. And it's sometimes embarrassing. And I'm thinking, well, Christians should be able to be up to the minute and talk about it, but you can't do it without a team. So in a roundabout way, I put myself in this position that I'm sitting here and I would rather be doing other things, but we have to turn our attention back to, well, the Enneagram. And the reason we have to turn our attention back to the Enneagram is because on Wednesday, Christianity Today posted the following article. Ian Cross answers your Enneagram questions. How the popular personality typing system finds its place in Christianity. Now, I know it's been 11 minutes, but stay with me. The reason I described kind of my personality why, why I, I kind of think that way, that, that there's just something about my personality, something that just loves that right there on the spot, happening, reacting, talking about it, not 20 minutes after the fact, but in real time, there's something about my personality. But let me make it very clear. I, did, I didn't need an Enneagram personality test to, term, to determine which Enneagram personality type that I am to figure that out. All that's required is to be honest with myself. Now, 
even if I could find out what motivates that, maybe it would be beneficial. But the most important thing from a Christian perspective is to go, okay, this is your personality. How can that help you in your Christian life or how it could be, it could be a hindrance. One of the things that goes along with that personality type is really a very much a compulsive mentality, right? Because if I, if I get into something, then I am compulsive in a sense that I want to do, I want to do it as much as possible, as well as possible. So like, if I'm going to do a podcast about news, well, then it's like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, think news, read news, live news, 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 and and turn on the microphone, you know, a hundred times because I got to keep people up to the minute about what's happening in the world. All right. Well, that, that compulsive mentality was detrimental to me, my church, my family, and my spiritual life. So now I understand that about myself. I, again, I don't need, I didn't need the Enneagram to figure that out. I just needed to be open and honest. Now, maybe there's some deep-seated reason that motivates that, that maybe I could unlock that and maybe that would be helpful. But the most important thing is I have to realize the reality of that thing about my personality. And then I have to judge that reality according to scripture and have to acknowledge how that may help me in my Christian life or hurt me in my Christian life. In some ways, that personality type is very much beneficial to me spiritually, right? When I get into the word of God, I'm into the word of God. I want to read it. I want to study it. When it's theology, I, so it, it's very compulsive in that way. The only problem is sometimes that motivation for scripture and all of that is not spiritually motivated, it's fleshly motivated. So now, now we're, we're really getting into, you know, the, the, the deep area of our personalities and what's motivating us. But I think that's just spending time with God's word. God's word is a sword that opens us up and exposes our motivations and our reasons, not necessarily a personality type. But the Enneagram is all over the place. People, churches constantly are pointing people to it as some useful tool to help them spiritually, help them in their marriage, help them in their church. And what we've tried, and and the only reason I, the only reason I really wanted to talk about it on Wednesday was just to let you know, hey, this is out there. But then immediately I started getting emails going, yeah, this stuff is all over the place. This stuff is all over the place. And, and then I'm like, man, I, I don't, but we gotta we gotta return our we gotta return to it. We have to. I have to force myself to return to it, even though now I feel like now I'm behind and we need to move on. You, you see how that yeah, becomes detrimental in that way. But I hope that I can do something beneficial to you. I guess what I want you to hear in this introduction is that the Enneagram is a personality type, right? It's a personality type test to give you your personality trait. And they break down your personality types into nine categories. The reformer, the helper, the achiever, the individualist, the investigator, the loyalist, the enthusiast, the challenger, and the peacemaker. And comes to find out you could be, you you literally could be like multiple of these personality types. You could be a combination of them. But but so many Christians and churches are pointing people to this as some massively useful tool. And I just want you to think about this. I think the reason Christians and churches are always looking for the next tool, 
the next thing to help us is that anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time realizes the struggles you have in your Christian life. We struggle. We fall. We have difficulties. We struggle with sin. And we look for solutions to all of these problems that I think in many cases either deny the biblical reality for those problems or it promises some solution that never delivers what we promise that it will. But let's return our attention back to the Enneagram. So here's what we're going to do. Just let me, I've backed up the audio. We're basically reviewing the audio from this podcast that was dropped on Wednesday at Christianity Today. Uh, It's, they are, let me read a little bit here about this. Um, This is the description of the podcast. Is the Enneagram compatible with Christianity? Ian Cron, author of The Road Back to You and the Story of You, says yes. On this episode of The Russell Moore Show, Cron and Moore talk about the Christian roots of the personality typing system known as the Enneagram. They discuss how helpful the Enneagram can be for a tool for spiritual formation, and they talk about the power of digging into our personal stories false messages, and all so that we can learn how to rewrite them according to the truth, love, and kindness of God. Now, as I've already stated in part one, the Enneagram seems to be about you, 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 you. The focus is on you. And the biblical Christianity is deny self, die to self, don't follow self, and put others before yourself. It's not about you. It's not about your story. It's about God's story. But there is some benefit in understanding ourselves. But we understand ourselves. We place ourselves before God's standard, God's ways, God's words, and then realize what we need to repent and what we need to mortify and how we need to change. But we can look, look at what, what they have to say. I backed this up probably too far um, now that I'm thinking about it because my intro has gone 18 minutes. Um, yeah, but you, you can hear my frustration because, see, <laughs> my frustration is I, in order to try to be right there on the spot, reacting in real time has now put me now two days later talking about something keep, that's keeping me from moving forward, which only develops more frustration and more pressure upon me. Yeah, it's a, it's a cycle. But this is what I understand about myself. So I understand this. Now, the key is what do I do for it? But do you need a, do you need a personality type test to figure that out. And if you do figure it out, does the Enneagram give you a suggestion, a solution, or would you then just take that information to scripture? Let's see what they do with it. We're right in a section here. Again, I backed it up where he's talking about how useful the Enneagram is. He, he, they've made an argument that the origins of the Enneagram actually do not come from the occult, but it comes from the desert, or the desert early church fathers. Now, there's lots of debate about that. Other people have, have said, no, they felt that it comes from this. There's all kinds of different information up, out there about the origins. We can debate the origins all day. The real issue is, what does it do? And is that compatible with Christianity, right? Because something's, the origin of something could be questionable, but it may not even, even really reflect what it was originally used for. It may, it may be in a completely different form now. The key is, in its present form, is that compatible with Christianity, irregardless of its origin, right? Irregardless of its origin. And I will argue just the, every time I hear the Enneagram mentioned, 
It seems to all be about self, 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 self-discovery, self-realization, self, 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 where the Bible seems to be no, die to self, deny self. So it seems to be a completely different focus. Well, let's jump in. Uh, so Russell Moore, Ian, uh, uh, Ian Cron, uh, discussing the Enneagram, and, and uh, they're trying to talk about how beneficial it is. Here we go. You know, it's it's uh, it, it was it helpful for me to understand why uh, say say an eight Enneagram eight sort of the um, challenger kind of a, a person and the Enneagram types are numbered right so if you were to go through them and Enneagram eight is okay let me go through them Enneagram one is the reformer Enneagram two is the helper Enneagram three is the achiever Enneagram four is the individualist Enneagram five is the investigator Enneagram six is the loyalist Enneagram seven is the enthusiast Enneagram eight is the challenger Enneagram nine is the peacemaker now I think what we have a tendency to do in some cases is when people start learning the Enneagram, and I already told you how I, I, to me it feels just like astrology, figuring out if you're a Pisces and Aries or whatever. Um, but I think there, it almost becomes almost like a game, and there's almost a tendency that you kind of pick the one you you want to be, and you almost try to answer things that you can be one of those things you want to be. Now I know there's ways to try to avoid that from happening, but I think there's like this desire. Well, if if I don't like the one I am, I'll just take the test again. I'm like, okay, now. I'm the, I'm the enthusiast. And, and sometimes maybe we try to be something that we're actually not, maybe. But again, even if you figure out you're one of these things, like, you know, he's like, this is so useful because he's going to try to compare it. Like, I can understand situations now by understanding people's Enneagram number. Like, well, if I can understand that there are four and then I'm a seven, now I can have a better understanding of them. Do I need to place them as an Enneagram number? Or do I just try to understand, well, that's that person's personality? Do I need to give it a name? Do I need to put that person in a box? Or do I just need to see that that's a person created in the image of God who is a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. Therefore, we do things that are sometimes wrong because of our sinful nature. However, this is who we are in Jesus Christ. Like, like do I need to blow up or do I almost need to push aside all of those theological uh, categories and put people in a new category, which is an Enneagram number. That, 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 that's where I think problems begin. All right, here we go. I would sometimes receive the way they were interacting as rude uh, or maybe even confrontational. This gave me an understanding of saying, okay, I can, I can kind of filter and interpret what they're trying to, to do mm-hmm. or why someone might be especially conflict-averse. Uh, it, it, just a, it, it helps me to have a category to know how to start to talk to that person. Yes, and hopefully it, it uh, arouses compassion mm-hmm. and empathy. It also gives you tools to better love that person to better challenge uh, mm-hmm. that person in a sensitive but but emotionally wise way. Yeah. Uh, and so, look, I does it help you love better? Yes, I think that's a yeah. gospel virtue, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, I think it feathers well with the gospel, and I think everything about it is continuous with the message of Jesus. I yeah. I don't I don't have any anxiety uh, with that at all. Yeah. Yeah, it it helps me in my marriage, mm. um, because my my wife every test has her as a two, mm. 
And one of the things that I have always said is, you know, I have a really low maintenance marriage, a really low drama uh, sort of sort of marriage of, of all of the things that I have to worry about. My wife being um, angry or upset or so forth uh, is not one of them. But it helped me to see uh, how uh, some things that might be going on for her that are stressful that I would never know are stressful. That's right. And and that and that could easily I could easily see as just well this is just the way she is without realizing she could very easily serve herself into uh, oblivion with everyone around her if we don't support her mm-hmm. in that way so it helped me with that trying to figure out uh, how best to love her and see this comes down to so I need the any or and I, I, okay let me be let me be fair here. That the Enneagram will be the tool that can help you in your marriage. See, so now, see, now it's, it's not so much scripture. It's now the Enneagram. You look to the Enneagram. If I figure out their number and I figure out my number, then now I can understand them better. Did you need an Enneagram number to understand this is how your wife acted or this is her personality type? Now, it'd be one thing if the Enneagram explained, hey, this is how they are. And this is the reason. Now, even if you understood the reason for the way they are, maybe that would give you more empathy towards them, maybe, but does it change anything? Like, that's still the way they are. Whether you place a number upon it, that's still the way they are. Whether you put a label upon it, that's still the way they are. Nothing changes about who they are, what they are, what they do. You've been married to her for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. You should figure out that's kind of the way they are. Now, you may not understand why they are the way they are. Does the Enneagram explain why they are the way they are? What well, the explanation is, well, because they're a two. They're a two. Dun, 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 dun. Now I have understanding. Well, did you need them to be labeled a two to get understanding? Or... You should see them as a person creating the image of God who has a sinful nature and has specific personality types and likes and dislikes that are different from yours. I like, I, I don't, I just don't understand how, like, see, this, this, this is what we needed. This helped me in my marriage because now I understood she's a two. Now it makes perfect sense. I, so the two, by labeling her a two, it all makes sense now. It didn't make sense until the Enneagram t- showed you that she was a two, I, 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 that's where I struggle with it. It's like the Enneagram is almost like this magic tool that we found that now helps us understand everything. It just seems like an ability to be able to categorize people by numbers. Maybe, maybe that's not fair, but I, I okay, let's just keep listening. I, I know I backed it up way too far, but all right, I, I, I've made my I've made my bed. Now I have to lie down in it. Okay, I already did too long of an intro. <laughs> now I've backed this up too far. I've made countless mistakes in this episode. Let's just continue. Yes, and it gives you a vernacular. Yeah, that you can income like for you mentioned. There's four. There's all these fours there the other night, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it just gave us a language to say. Well, this is why we had so much fun tonight. Yeah, and and when someone shares something deep, we don't you know, with the rest of us kind of lean back in our chairs and go, okay, we're comfortable with this. Yeah. Whereas other types wouldn't be. Yeah. Right. 
So because earlier in the podcast, he talked about how they had, they were at this poetry reading or whatever this, there were something and they were all talking and then people were like, well, the reason we all like this is because we're fours. <laughs> you needed to realize that you're all fours to understand why you liked it. Like, no, you're like, well, clearly this group of people are similar and we like this stuff. Do we need to be na- like, I don't understand how it's supposedly like, okay, I need to know why those group of people that I hung with, I hung out with on Friday night, why we all liked what we liked. Oh, the reason is because we're fours. Now it makes sense. Do I, do I really need to figure out that you're like, if you and I hang out and I'm like, whoa, man, we, we get along. We have a connection. This is great. Do I need to figure out, okay, what's your sign? Oh, 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 I'm a, I'm a Pisces. What do you, well, well, Linda Goodman's, uh, you know, sun signs book says that we're going to be good friends. So do I need, do I need an astro, do I need astrology, an astrology sign to understand it? Do I need an Instagram number to understand it? Or do I just realize that there are people out there who will be very similar to you and you will have a connection and get along with? Do I, do I need to go? Okay, well, man, hey guys, we all hung out and we got along. All right, before we do anything else, let's stop and do an Enneagram test really quick. Okay, what's your number? Well, that makes sense. I mean, like, what does that help you? <laughs> we, we now know why we, get, we, we now know why we get along is because we're all the same Enneagram number. Like, I don't even understand how that's a useful tool. I, I can just go, oh, well, we got along. Okay, that's cool. Well, then let's hang out more because obviously we like each other and obviously we like the same things and obviously we communicate in a way that we can all relate to. Like, do I need Enneagram numbers to figure, or do I need to go, well, you're an Enneagram two, we're fours. I mean, we'll try to understand you twos, but maybe uh, maybe you want to go find a group of twos. Like, I, I don't really understand how this is some magic thing that now just like the light comes on. I have an epiphany. Now we understand why we like each other because we're all fours. I don't like I that just seems odd to me. Uh, yeah, yeah and- it might even be really distressing to to someone to say a peacemaker uh, or, or, or something like that might see that as being. Uh, I don't know, maybe anxiety uh, producing if you start talking about really deep uh, sort of tragic things. Absolutely. And, and so I think, um, you know, understanding the inner architecture of, of other people is tremendously valuable. Mm-hmm. And these are low resolution pictures of that inner architecture. So let's have no, you know, uh, illusions about that. But even if you got 10% more clarity yeah. about your wife yeah. or about your children or about a colleague, that's an evolutionary leap forward. Yeah. You know, a really big one. So you're not saying that, if you know someone's type, then you know that person. You, you, you sort of have the, the really the, the predictive category. Someone said to me, knowing that we were friends, said it must be really creepy to be with Ian Cron. And I said, why? Why would it be creepy? And they said, because you're, you're with somebody who knows everything psychologically and you're sort of, uh, uh, you, you know, you're, you're being psychoanalyzed. Although I said, well, I, I don't really think that's the case. But I think that, that person had this, had this idea, if you know about personality, then that means you know 
you you just see right through that person and you know everything that there is. Now, that's really not what you're saying in the story of you or anywhere else. Right? Heck no. Just because yeah. you know someone's type doesn't mean you know them. Yeah. And here's another thing to be clear. I don't think about the Enneagram all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a useful tool. I think it's only one of many good tools in the life of a, of a Christian looking to develop into a wholeness. Shalom. Okay, so, I want, so the Enneagram, it, it, it can help you move forward because you understand somebody by having their, so by having their number or knowing their number or knowing their personality type, you, want, you understand them, but you don't truly know them. You don't truly know them, but you understand them. But it's a useful tool in helping you move forward in your Christian life. I, I just want you to just realize this. So, so for all the Christians who've ever existed who didn't have the Enneagram, they were missing out on a useful tool. So I, I, I'm just like, so, so for some reason, for some reason, now I, I'm not, listen to me, I'm not saying that there aren't use, uh, th- that it cannot be useful. Just, just when, whenever you start trying to say it's useful for one's Christian life, it's where I get a little just, you got to at least hear, hear me. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, right? Because I understand you can say, well, psychology offers some useful information. I, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that if it was super useful for your Christian life, don't you think that it would show up here? Yeah, that's my Bible. That's God's word. Why didn't the Enneagram show up here? Because the 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 Enneagram is all about understanding you, your personality type, understanding everyone's personality type. Where to me, the Bible says, okay, hey, Christians, there's 20 of us here. All right, here's the thing. 20 of us here, but we're all supposed to be individuals who are dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, and not following ourselves. And our identity is supposed to be in Christ. And we're supposed to be focusing on glorifying God, not glorifying and understanding ourselves better. The Bible seems to have a completely different mindset then, okay, guys, what we need to do is understand ourselves better and understand our personality types more. Why am I trying to understand the personality type of someone who's supposed to be dying? I'm supposed to be denying that person, dying to that person. Put it this way. However useful the Enneagram may be, this biblical theological concept can't just be In other words, we can't ignore the Bible's call to die to self, deny self, and not follow self. That that cannot be ignored when discussing the Enneagram. And so far, they've not mentioned anything about dying to self, denying self, or serving self, but somehow demonstrating that if we can figure these things out, this is is one of the tools that will help you develop into what you're supposed to be as a Christian. Well, okay, how does that work with die to self, deny self? I'm waiting for them to mention that. You know their yeah. their complete self. It's not the only one by a mm-hmm. long shot. Um, I think it's. Please note: develop into the complete self. Develop into the whole self. See, like they're they're saying that the goal of Christianity is to develop into your whole self, to develop into your true self. I don't believe Christianity is about developing into my whole self. Christianity is about me dying to self. See, I don't, they, they seem to say Christ, Christian development, they're defining Christian development or Christian maturity different than the way I'm defining it. I'm saying Christian maturity and development is dying to self. 
not developing into the true self, but it's the elimination of self. Just the one that I happen to be trained in. Now, the other thing that I would say is I, uh, we are wildly complex human beings, uh, these creatures called human beings. And, you know, personality is a part of who we are, but it's not the sum total of who we are, yeah. right? Yeah. And I don't walk around typing people all day long. Yeah. I find it obnoxious when I meet some novice student of the Enneagram and they're like typing dogs, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, please yeah. stop it. Uh, I find it, you know, to be, as I mentioned, again, another, to, not to overuse the word, a useful instrument, but it's not the you know, I didn't find it in a cave like Harrison Ford, right, you know, right. like it's on written on magic tablets. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it is what it is. You, it, this book is specifically about story mm-hmm. uh, and about sort of the scripts and the stories we, we live by. You know what? I've been thinking about a lot over the past several weeks. You mentioned in this book at one point uh, Spider-Man uh, and about sort of your identification with this sort of angst-ridden teenager <laughs> yes. Spider-Man. I was thinking about this when uh, my kids and I were seeing Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, newest uh, Spider-Man movie. And spoilers, if, if you haven't seen it by now and you, you don't want to spoil, then you can skip on it. But one of the things that was really interesting to me in watching this movie is it was the most interactive uh, theater experience I have ever had. I'm not one of the people who goes to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show in the middle of the night and so forth where people are really interactive. But that's, I just have to laugh hearing Russell Moore mention the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Do, do, do people still go to the theater late at night to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Is that, is that, still, a, is that still a thing? Is, is that, is that, it seems like a very dated reference, but it's just funny the, that that on a Christian podcast they're talking about going to the theater to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, I'm not making a judgment. It just seems funny to hear mentioned. But okay, okay, okay. So now we're we're talking Spider-Man. It's interactive. Okay. All right. Now, what is this going to teach us about the Enneagram and how it will help you in your Christian life? All right. Let's let's see. In this one, uh, the the crowd would cheer, and and the reason that they would cheer is when there was an unexpected character from a different set of Spider-Man movies uh, who would show up. And you have sort of these these three different Spider-Men from three different series of movies who encounter one another. And every time that, that one of them would show up, there would be this cheering that was going on. And I think it's because you had these storylines and these narratives that were sort of coming together. Uh, and there was a sense of surprise and there was a sense of, of holding the, these stories together. And as I, I thought about that quite a bit uh, afterward, because it seems to me that there are a lot of people when they're looking at the story of their life, either implicitly or explicitly, they really spend a lot of time thinking about the stories that weren't written. So they're thinking about what if I had done something else? What, what if I had been six feet away from that radioactive spider? Well, what if I had decided to not go to college? I mean, what, what would have happened in my life? And I think that's something that, that kind of weighs on people and also is a kind of burden in some ways 
Um, I remember, I think, I think we were together when someone was talking about, it might have been you, uh, but was talking about um, something in his life and someone said, well, this is what you signed up for. And the person said, yeah, but I was 19. Yeah. <laughs> I don't trust a 19-year-old to make decisions for me uh, now. So how, how is it that people in their everyday lives, how are they kind of understanding story? Yeah. Well, we look at our lives through the lens of story. We're wired for narrative. Mm-hmm. And this is why you hear people say all the time, oh, I'm turning the page yeah. uh, in my yeah. life. Or I'm, this is the beginning of a new chapter. Yeah. Or that cheesy pickup line, tell me, what's your story? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everything mm-hmm. is story, yeah. right? Now, the premise of the book is, look, and this is validated by psychology, and I think it's true. All of us as little people craft a narrative that helps us explain to ourselves and others who we are and how we think the world works. Mm -hmm. We can't survive very long on this planet without a narrative, without a story. Otherwise, our life becomes incoherent, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Now, those stories are made up of what I call taken-for-granted beliefs. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. made up of internalized messages that we pick up from family, peers, teachers, culture, you know, lots of of forces in Mm -hmm. our lives. And fundamentally, those stories are broken, they helped us survive childhood because we needed, we needed a story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but those broken stories, when, when we unconsciously drag them into adulthood and continue to live by their dictates, by those beliefs, by those false messages, they make a mess of our lives. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Carl Jung has a, a, a great quote, and I'm gonna, this is going to be a complete butchering of it, mm-hmm. but it, this is the general idea that – the, the very things that help us in the morning of life will ruin us in the afternoon. Mm. And so I, these little stories that we built and uh, got going inside our heads uh, in the afternoon of life will we'll make a mess of us. And mm. each of the, this, is, this was the aha for me with the Enneagram. I realized one day they're not just personality types. These are nine archetypal stories, mm. uh, one of which... Uh, you know, we might gravitate toward and adopt in childhood and uh, to make sense of our lives in the world. And the reason I know that story is broken is because the underlying premise of it is fundamentally in direct opposition to the story of the gospel Hmm. in all nine, in all nine, all nine cases. Hmm. So Enneagram one, the improver, we used to call them perfectionist. Hmm. Their broken story revolves around this idea that the world only rewards good mm-hmm. people and punishes bad people. And in order to be good, they have to perfect themselves, others in the world to find love. Mm. Where does it say that in the gospel? Right, right, right. That I can't make mistakes. I have to be perfect to have to know the love of God and others. Now, you see how that story may have helped that little person mm-hmm. make sense of the world, but it's you know what that happens by the time you're yeah. a couple of decades in, even two and out. a half. Yeah, it's a, all nine stories. So the purpose of the book is to exhume the story, s- interrogate the underlying premise, and then as the narrator of your story, uh, or we might say co-creator, if you'd like, co-author of your story with God, uh, rewrite the narrative. Maybe sub-creator. Yeah. Whoa, okay. All right, so... The nine Enneagram personality types, or really archetypes, 
They're stories. And all store, all the nine are broken. So we look to the nine to see our brokenness. And then as a co-author, co-creator with God, we rewrite and we recreate the story to then become that full person. So then the Enneagram would not be, okay, I'm trying to figure, so the Enneagram would be the, the tool to help you see your broken story and to see your broken self. So let's go through this. All right, so the reformer, the rational, idealistic, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionist. So I would look to myself and see how am I how as how is my rationality, my idealism, my principles, my purpose, my self-control, and my perfectionism. How is all of that? reveal my brokenness before a holy God, then I take that, right? I say, okay, well, the reformer, that's, that's how it's called here, the reformer. That, that's, 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 that's my story, but that story is broken. Now I'm going to rewrite the story so that I can become a reformer that is more in line with God. Okay, that, do I need the Enneagram to do that? Or do I need to be spending more time with God's word, meditating and, and studying it for it to reveal my sin to me? Like, do I need it? Do I need to give myself, well, I'm a reformer. I'm, I'm a number one. And, and that's my archetype. And that's my story. And my story is broken because of sin. Or do I need to start worrying about figuring out that I'm a number one? I'm studying God's word and saying, well, um, let's just go with this. Uh, I'm I'm so purposeful and self-controlled that I have a tendency to take control of the situation and be so focused on what I want that I ignore what God, God wants. Now, do I need to be know that I'm a number one to, to determine that? This is almost like, hey, these the, 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 the Enneagram is to show you the nine different per, uh, story types so that you can find the kind of sinner that you are. Is this about figuring out what kind of sinner that I am? It just seems like a weird, like the Enneagram is a useful tool because it gives you the nine false stories that now you have to rewrite with God. And and again, God is the co, we're co-authors with God. We're co-creators with God. Okay, now again, that we could get into monergism versus synergism. It just, but please note everything that he's they they bring in God a little bit, but everything is you. He's talked about psychology. He's he's it's he's. There's very little Bible into this supposed useful tool because this tool does not derive from Scripture. It derives from something outside of Scripture. I'm not saying that means we completely ignore it. It just means I, I, I just don't really see why I need this. Like, what is this tool going to give me that I would not get from just being open and honest with God's Word and looking at myself and going, man, I got a problem here and I got a problem here and I got a problem there. Wouldn't Scripture be the thing that reveals that? Or do I need the Enneagram to, to reveal that? However we want to put yes. it. Yeah. Sub-creator. Yeah. Right. But, but we have an obligation to ourselves and to those we love to live in a true story, mm. not, in a, not in a false story that has this trance-like quality. It's like the old fish water trope, you know? It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you don't even know you're in this false story until you do. And well, I, how, how do you pick it up, first of all? 
And second of all, why is it that you will have people who are in the exact same environment, the exact same family, uh, and they respond to it completely differently? I mean, I think about my brothers and I, very different personality types. Look at my children. I have um, I have one son who's sort of really not worried at all, and he's really accepting and forgiving of people. And I have to sort of guide him toward, let, let's think about what's just and right here. And then another who is worried uh, and inclined to everything is real. Everything is a matter of completely black, completely white. Mm-hmm. And we have to have to sort of bring him over here. They grew up in the same house with the same parents and the same everything. So how does that happen where where someone will will adopt a story that might be completely different from someone else in the same situation. Well, first of all, thank goodness they do. Otherwise, we'd have a very monochromatic right. world, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, and family would be very boring if yeah. that were the case. Uh, but, uh, secondly, this is a principle I think is very true. It's not what happened to you that matters so much as what you think happened what to you. What you think happened. Mm-hmm. What you perceive happened to you. Mm-hmm. And then how you interpreted what that experience meant about you, right? So you could have two, and also let's not discount temperament and disposition. Mm -hmm. I mean, certain kids come into the world more naturally anxious than other kids. Some kids come in more carefree and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So between disposition, temperament, and experience, uh, you know, we we get these odd permutations of these different stories, right? So that's how the story can be both archetypal, many people occupy it, but at the same time specific. Do you notice one thing that's being left out all of this? Depravity. Sinful nature. Like, and and it's, it's not what happened to you, it's how you perceived what happened to you. Now, I understand that this goes with the concept that people have said all the time. Perception is reality. Perception may be reality to you, but wouldn't the goal be to get past how you perceived what happened and figured out what happened? But not only that, even if you perceive something that way, the key is, okay, based off my perception, what is the biblical response? Like, like, isn't that really the issue? Like, this just seems to get, this seems to be getting into the weeds of human psychology instead of the, the, to me, one of the reasons I love the Christian worldview is because you can spend years sitting in a sense, laying on a couch, talking to a psychologist or a counselor, and I'm not opposed to psychology or counseling. I'm not in any way, shape, or form, but I'm saying you can spend years and try to figure out the why and how come, and I perceive this, and I feel this, and and trying to figure it all out. To me, the biblical model is, okay, I perceive this, I feel this, Okay, I can spend years trying to figure out the why, the how come, and I, or I can say, okay, here's what I feel now. Let me take it to the word of God. Well, God says, forgive. God says, do, God says, don't allow bitterness. Like God gives me very specific, very black and white solutions, or I can just spend years trying to figure it out, try 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 to figure it out. And then all of a sudden I can get the breakthrough and go, now I understand myself. But the Bible says, stop. The Bible doesn't seem to be about self-discovery. It's about self-denial. It's not about self-understanding. It's about dying to self. 
The Bible seems to have a completely different mentality than all of this. That's why they have not even mentioned scripture. And here they're not even mentioning depravity. Like, well, how can kids be so different? Well, they're, they're different. Okay. And, and depravity manifests itself differently in every person. Like, I, I, I don't know. Let's continue. Yeah. Uh, based on our personal histories. Can that happen with, when you talk about how you pick up these stories you tell yourself, can that happen with churches? And I think about this as someone who, uh, I grew up in a very Southern Baptist uh, context where the church was a really important uh, part of my life. And and when we would sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, it really meant uh, that. I mean, it really felt that way to me. And I had all of the sort of Southern Baptist sword drill awards and where you find verses in the Bible and vacation Bible school awards and, and so forth. And it it seems to me when I left a Southern Baptist uh, ministry to a different ministry just this past year. It was really difficult because I felt guilty uh, and still do sometimes, um, not because of anything I did, but because I would say, well, how could I leave them? And it started to, it started to make sense to me when my wife said, I think you're feeling this as though your home church were saying to you as a child, this isn't good enough. The, the sword drill's not, not good enough. You didn't find the Bible verses quick enough. You didn't memorize the missionaries, uh, and, and, and you're not one of us. So, I mean, can that, can that be a reality? In, and I know my situation was particularly immersive. No pun intended, uh, there. But could, could that happen um, in maybe churches that aren't quite that uh, cohesive? And if so, how do churches help kids to write storylines that'll be healthy for them uh, later on as they're, as they're thinking through their place in the world and how they relate to God? Well, yes, obviously it can happen, and, and you know, churches are not infallible, as we know, yeah, right? They yeah. they are are broken institutions uh, mm-hmm. or organisms, uh, imperfect, and so uh, they can certainly hand us scripts early in life yeah. that uh, are unhealthy, right? Yeah. Uh, the message, for example, might be, um, "You have to be perfect, or you won't be loved." Yeah. Or you must serve everybody while not acknowledging your own needs, right? Mm-hmm. Or it might be, uh, you know, you have to succeed at being a follower of Christ, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and appear successful and never fail. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we get all these kinds yeah. of things. And, and all of them, and all of them, for all of them, you could find biblical justification uh, yes. for, for what you think you're doing. Yes, um, but they can become distortions yeah. of the actual truth, right? They could become, uh, we, we could place such a hard emphasis into them that they, they become very unhelpful and damaging, yeah. you know? And so, look, you, 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 
you probably just went through the journey, right, of, of saying, okay, so uh, in the old story, these messages are what I picked up. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe where the guilt is coming in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's an old story. Yeah. And that part of the story no longer serves you, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, if you have enough self-awareness, as you do, and you have the capacity for self-reflection, and I think also you have some of the tools and like I present in the story of you, which I think is, you know, as you know, good teaching is just about saving people time. Yeah. And I, in the story of you, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to save people time. Like let's, rather than waiting until the story completely breaks apart Mm -hmm. in life, why don't we take responsibility and ownership of our role in the creation of that story and come up with one that's, that's true and, and life-giving and aligned with your values and aligned with your beliefs. So how in the story of you do you help people? I imagine there are people listening to this who would say, well, I don't know what stories I've picked up about myself and I don't know what story I'm, I'm listening to right now. So how do I, how do I find out? Sure. Well, one thing is, uh, in the first part of the book, I talk about why narrative works the way that it does, why it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Then I talk about the nine stories of each of the Enneagram types. I think anybody who reads, you don't even need to know the Enneagram. You could just read those nine stories and say, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. You know. And then uh, there's a four-stage process that I try to work people through toward writing a new story. So the first step would be to see right? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It, it means we have to go back and exhume the old story to interrogate all the old beliefs and that continue to perpetuate and support that fallacious story, that mm-hmm. untrue story. <laughs> yeah, all, all this, uh, someone just asked, all this from a personality test. I, I think what they've done is they've taken the Enneagram and he's now developed in an in, in, and enti- he's almost taking it and turned it into an, an, an additional system, which is you got your personality type, which now are not just personality types. Each type is a story. And now you look at the story and then you've got to see your, the old story. And now you've got to rewrite the story. Like all, <laughs> I, I, all of this is just so, to me, it sounds like psychology, not biblical Christianity. In fact, he's saying it's compatible with Christianity, but please note we are 29 minutes into this and, 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 and I, yeah, I need, you can, you can probably take it online. Um, I think you can take the Enneagram test online uh, or you can just buy his book, The Story of You, I think it's called, um, Ian Cron, Ian Cron, uh, you can probably find on uh, uh, Amazon, but uh, it just seems like we're 29 minutes into it. This is supposedly useful and compatible with Christianity, but the one thing that's been completely left out of all of this is anything related to Christianity? They've mentioned gospel. They miss, mentioned church. They've mentioned God, but they, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing like this can all be done without God. Literally, you could just throw all God completely out of this, and you would just be trying to figure out your story. And you got to rewrite your story. The only difference is they've they've allowed God to be a, 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 a you know partner with you. Now, now you can be the co-author with God to rewrite your story. You can be the co-creator to create your new story. Uh, so God is there to be a partner. But other than that, <laughs> I don't know. So we have to see the old story. All right, and, and let's just go through the rest of this. Um, yeah, this is so frustrating. That, okay, let's just continue. Right. Uh, And then the next step would be to own. 
And, and that, that really is saying, okay, what has this cost me? Ooh, the story I'm telling you. What, what has this story cost me? So in my, in my situation as an Enneagram 4 who grew up with the mistaken belief and built a story around the belief that there was something profoundly wrong with mm-hmm. me, it was unnameable missing piece mm-hmm. uh, that prevented me and, and led me to believe that I was unworthy of love and relationship and belief. Let me make it very clear. You grew up thinking something was wrong with you because something was wrong with you. It's called you were a sinner, okay? You didn't deserve the love of God. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't de- deserve forgiveness. So like, so so is, is are, am I supposed to re- write, rewrite the story? Like, but I do deserve it. I do deserve it. And I'm a good person. Is that, are you supposed to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I do deserve love and I do deserve it because I'm a good person. I know I'm going to an SNL skit. Is that, is that where I'm supposed to go with this? I, I, I'm, I'm just, so he's the, so he's an, he's an archetype for, uh, inst- uh, uh, Instagram, <laughs> not an Instagram type, an Enneagram type four. He is the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. That's the individualist. That's what he is. All right. So, but he he's saying that this archetype creates a story where you you don't feel you don't feel all of these things. So 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 how does he fix the story? longing and wholeness in the world. Mm-hmm. What did that cost me? Mm-hmm. Well, it cost a lot, right? It, and into adulthood, I started the, with that set of false beliefs. That story hurt my marriage. It, it hurt my friendships. Mm-hmm. It limited me. It, 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 was, it sabotaged me at different points mm-hmm. uh, along the way. And, you know, please note, what hurt his marriage, what hurt all of these things, was because he was an archetype four. He was an Enneagram four. That's what hurt all of these things. No, what hurt all of those things was that you were a sinner and your sin manifested itself in those ways of thinking. (laughs) But I guess what hurt his marriage is because he didn't think he deserved love. See, this is going so... Oh man, like you're trying to listen to this and then say, remember the, there, and I, I am not, listen, now listen to what I'm about to say. If this was an atheist, if this was non-Christian, this, this, this was not published on Christianity today, I wouldn't even be criticizing this. I'd be like, well, here's the world and their system and trying to understand their story, understand themselves and understand their behavior because they don't look to scripture to understand themselves and they don't look to scripture in order to judge themselves. So I would under, I would completely understand they need something contrary, but this is being brought over as this is somehow compatible with Christianity. And what I'm hearing is no, this is not compatible with Christianity. This is replacing Christianity. This is like, well, the reason I, I, I messed up my marriage is because I was an Enneagram four. Okay, I'm going to use that. Next time I, next time I get in a, a, a problem with my wife, I'm going to say, well, honey, you know, I'm an Enneagram, whatever I am. Uh, that, that, you know, that's that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that they're saying that it's an excuse. It's just like, wh- what, what happened to blaming sin? What happened to blaming depravity? 
What happened to blame? Probably the reason you got yourself in trouble is because, well, you loved self more than others. It's because you didn't die to self. Like, I, I, why not place it in biblical categories? We're replacing the biblical categories with a pseudo psychological. And this, this was a big fight in the 1990s when, you know, psychology started entering into the church as psychology just now turned into the Enneagram. And, and the story of you, the story of you, I know we're over an hour. I'll try to stop here in just a minute. Oh, to own the shadow aspect mm-hmm. of the type. And isn't that a Christian idea? Yeah. Right? Well, and, and also, isn't it, um, I think we have a tendency to assume that everyone is living out the same basic story. Oh, I, mean, no. I, I yeah. think of uh, David Sedaris, the... Um, uh, the essayist, uh, comedic essayist, was talking about his sister went to a weight loss uh, sort of a class, and the leader of the class stood up and said, you know, and, the, and his sister just wanted to lose a few pounds, and said the leader stood up and said, you know, all of us in the middle of the night go into the kitchen and consume an entire cake. You know, we, we're all honest. All of us do this on a regular basis. And his sister is thinking, I've never consumed an entire cake. <laughs> the, the, the person just assumes, well, you know, we all do this because I do it. Right. And it, it, it can help you to figure out people may have very different ways of <laughs> responding to things. And, and Do you need an Enneagram personality test to figure out that we're not all the same. <laughs> hey, I-, I thought everyone was the same until I learned the Enneagram. And then, boom, I figured out we're not all the same. Didn't you figure that out in, I don't know, kindergarten when you realized, man, th- I'm different than those kids. Uh, did you not figure it out in junior high and high school that we're all different? I mean, did you need an Enneagram? T- now, again, personality test may be able to explain well, I, in many cases, it just explains that you are different. It may not even explain the reason for it, because can you really explain why you're the way you are? There's so many things, and they've already acknowledged it can be based off the way you were raised. It can be based off your own personality. There could, but, but from a Christian perspective, the one thing you have to realize that any way that you are, that your sinful nature it is manifested in so many ways that, and uh, so many of your personality types, it can show up there and because it corrupts and, and it makes it sinful. I just, this is so just, it's almost as if they're talking as if Christianity doesn't exist. And remember, again, I'm only dealing with this because it dropped at Christianity Today. I want to make it, this is a podcast that dropped on Christianity Today, <laughs> this is Christianity today. I, yeah, I'm overemphasizing it. That's the only reason I even wanted to address it. I wanted to address it the minute it was dropped. And now that, but that shows my personality because I'm obsessive. Like, okay, okay, wait, I, I got to talk about this. I got to talk about this. And I'm willing to acknowledge without the Enneagram that there are negative aspects to that personality type because of my sinful nature. And it can start making things. I can put things before God, put things before family. I understand all of that, but I didn't need the Enneagram personality test to figure that out. I needed to constantly be, I need to acknowledge the reality of who I am and not hide and cover it up in self-righteousness. I need to then take who I am and the reality of who I am, compare it with scripture, and then 
repent of the, of the differences and continue to work to die to self, deny self, and not follow self. That, that seems to be the more biblical model. But I want to just stress this. What we're hearing is Christianity today which doesn't sound like they sound like they've replaced Christianity with something else. I know people are going to say that's being too judgmental, but we're 31 minutes into this and we haven't heard really anything about Christianity other than just saying, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to worry about. This is perfectly compatible with Christianity. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about this. It's perfectly okay. All right. So now, now let your guard down. Okay, all right, and you're like, okay, good. Whew, I got nothing to worry about. This, there's nothing against Christianity in this. And then for 31 minutes, it's been like, here's everything other than Christianity, and we've even ignored some of the most basic theological concepts found within Christianity, which is things like, I don't know, depravity. I, I don't know how you can speak about personality and ignore depravity. I don't even know how that is even humanly possible from a theological perspective. But this is Christianity today. We'll we'll, we'll just try to wrap this up. Here we go. Even interpreting what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. There are as many lenses as there are people, right? Yeah. Uh, Now, the the third step is to awaken. Uh, And to, you know, it's interesting, Russell, I think if you were to take the sum total of the, particularly of the ancient writings in the church, and you try to compress the message of all those great, great doctors of the church, Mm Uh, into one pithy statement. It comes down to this, I think. That's interesting. He's referring to them as doctors. Doctors of the church, to me, that's a, theo- that's a Catholic terminology to refer to some of the church fathers as a doctor of the church, like St. Augustine is a doctor of the Roman Catholic church. So is he coming at this from a Catholic perspective? So now, because look, if he's taking the Enneagram, and he's trying to move it over into theology, right? And, well, we can't ignore his theological tradition. Now, I don't know if Ian Cron is a, I don't know what his theological background is, but I, I think that can't just be ignored in this, right? Well, like, if this is Christianity today, at least acknowledge your theological presuppositions you're imposing upon the use of the Enneagram. So, but he's going to try to comp, comp, uh summarize all of the writings of the doctors of the church that that from a historical perspective this is going to be fascinating because well you just go read the church fathers and then you try to summarize you try to summarize everything all right here we go wake up wake up wake up to uh the truth uh, about who you are about the world about so he's summarizing the mess- the message of the church fathers as wake up to who you are. <laughs> now, yes, I, I, I think the early church would say, wake up to who you are, a totally depraved sinner. But oh, So do you want me to wake up to the fact that I'm a totally depraved sinner? If you say that, then I don't need the Enneagram. I need scripture. <laughs> okay, that's what I need. And, and wake up to the world around me. Yes, so I'm a sinner and I live in a world of sinners. Who And I live in a world that has been corrupted by sin. Now, if you want to go there, I'm all for it, but I don't need the Enneagram for this. I don't need, I mean, just go to Isaiah. When Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, he immediately says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in a world and around people 
who are unclean. He sees the corruption in himself. He sees the corruption in the world around him because he, once he saw God as he truly is, he saw himself as he truly is. That, that's the way it works, right? We, I, I say that all the time. It comes from Calvin's Institutes. I say it all the time that we can never truly understand ourselves as we truly are until we see God as he truly is. That is a that there we can start somewhere. Like if you really, you cannot, listen, let me me state this. This is so important. Any personality test is invalid unless it begins first with a correct understanding of who God is. You can never truly understand yourself as you truly are until you see God as he truly is. So the first step in any personality test is first a correct theology. Theology is the most important subject because a correct understanding of God will lead to a correct understanding of yourself and a correct understanding of the world around you. So it always starts with God first, then I can see myself. When I see God as he is, then I can see myself as as I am. That's just so very important, all right? And I'm getting a a message, winter storm alert um, from the Fox News uh, weather app because they're they're breaking in and doing live coverage of a, well, historic nor'easter that's going to impact millions of Americans in the storm's path. Yeah, my daughter who lives in Boston is being told that it could be one of the worst blizzards in the history of Boston. I know you don't really care about that, but that's I just got distracted by that. So if I get distracted, I'm going to distract you. But I want to make sure you understand that, that this is one of the major issues with this is it's not starting with God. It's starting with you. You don't understand yourself by looking to yourself. You don't understand your world by looking to yourself. You understand yourself in the world by looking to God. As you see God as he is, you can see everything else as it truly is is that that's like christianity 101 uh, you know just just like we walk in the light yes yeah. and, and so um the the awake we walk in the light now now, he, now just through they just grab a biblical concept and just rip it out of its content we walk in the light what is that what does that got to do with the enneagram what does that got to do with nine archetype stories Now, all of this may be interesting. All of this may be fascinating, wonderful. But to me, it would be more interesting and fascinating for someone who doesn't have God and and they they don't have the scriptures. They They need something to help them understand the world around them and to understand themselves. We look to God to understand ourselves. We don't look to ourselves to understand ourselves because our hearts is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So the last thing I'm going to do is look to myself to understand myself because I have a deceptive heart that will deceive me about myself. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like that I am literally, this is what I feel like. I'm, I feel like I'm reviewing a podcast by atheist and I'm trying to offer the Christian worldview to counteract the atheistic worldview. But literally, this is a podcast that dropped at Christianity Today. <laughs> That is utterly ironic. The step really is, as I mentioned earlier, it's like the old fish water trope. It's like 
These stories have a trance-like quality to them. We fall asleep. Mm. We go on to autopilot. We just, you know, kind of like motor along in our lives, kind of sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, awakening has to do with, okay, well, when does this story launch? What does it look like? What do Mm -hmm. I do when it relaunches? You know, Mm -hmm. what new choices can I make now that I know the old and the new story I'm writing? Mm. So you figure out the old story. You own the old story. You wake up and then I guess you're going to now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back because you are about to see the new story. The new story is beginning now. Is that, is that, I, and I guess re, I, there's nothing here about salvation. There's nothing here about redemption. There's nothing here about sanctification. Like all the theological concepts have just been completely abandoned and everything's been replaced by this pseudo psychological language. And it's just, but this is Christianity today. Then the last step is the rewrite. There's the R of SOAR, S-O-A-R, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and that really is this intentional process of, of sitting down and saying, what is the story uh, uh, to which I'm being called? Mm-hmm. And what does it look like? What, what, what does it... Uh... <laughs> so, so now I sit down and go, so, so what is this new life supposed to look like? What, 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 what am I supposed to do? Okay, let, let me see if I can help you out, okay? Because I don't want you sitting there trying to feel a feeling or try to figure out what, what, what God wants from you and trying to do all of that crazy. I don't even know what all of that is. Here, let me help you. All right, here's the new story. Die to self, deny self, stop following self. Put others before yourself and live your life for God's glory. The end. Did that, oh wait, I have to look to my Bible to figure that out. Not the Enneagram. And I don't sit there at a table going, what am I, what, like trying to figure it out and some kind of mystical feeling to try to determine what God is calling you to those things because they're already told us in scripture. What's the plot? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. where am I going? Uh, What's the errand upon which I've been sent here to, you know, to fulfill? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like you mentioned the early church, just go back to the early catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Little kids can memorize that, okay? The, the, the kids in this church at one point had, had that clearly memorized. It's the first question of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is your purpose? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's God Focus. This is all about what's the plot? To glorify God. What's my purpose? To glorify God. Like, like this is supposed to be something that you're supposed to sit there and figure out. This is like, this is like someone living their lives without God. But this is Christianity today. Well, and uh, it's a very exciting step, yeah. right? And it's not set in stone. It's a first draft. Everything's a first draft, yeah. right? You'll edit as the years go yeah. by. But man, you got to start somewhere. So. Yeah, and it can't it can't it go too far? Um, because I think there are some people who, as you say, are asleep and need to be awakened. There are other people, though, that I think feel like they have to know who they are before they can live life. 
and because they don't i mean none of us none of us really we don't know who we are if we're eternal uh, created for eternal life and uh, as as jesus says you have a new name given to you on a on a white stone so the, the there's all sorts of aspects of our story that are yet future. We don't know. And don't you think there are some people who think, I've got to figure all this out before yeah. I can sort of do something? And and then are, they're kind of anxious. Uh, they don't have that that sort of wilderness, desert kind of transition period where you're thinking, I don't really know where this is going. You see what I'm saying? Is that is that possible with some people? I think you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, uh, this happens a lot in your early 20s, right? Mm. You you have to say, I gotta gotta find myself yeah. before I yeah. make a commitment to a particular career path or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you with very with kindness and gentleness, you have to say oftentimes to a person in that part of life is, look, you're a plane up in the air being built as you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There will be turbulence. There will be clear air. There will be all sorts of things. But you are in process for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, this idea that there is um, some kind of monolithic self that you could arrive at that's like set in stone and you're going to go, I found it. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. Uh, it's a, There's a journey toward clarity and... Uh, of self-discovery that's um, particularly important. And, and, you know, I was going to mention earlier when people get anxious about, you know, well, there's just too much focus on self and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, is this just another kind of navel-gazing exercise that you're encouraging? I just always remind people of what Calvin said in the opening of the Institutes, without self-knowledge, there is no knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I think, without uh, without the capacity to look inward, and uh... now, come on, if you're going to quote Calvin, there's no there's no knowledge of God without self-knowledge. But Calvin makes it very clear. The only way to know self is to know God. <laughs> okay, So let's not completely. I mean, and, and, and listen, if you don't believe me, uh, pick up, find Calvin's Institutes and read uh, the first chapter. I think it's the first chapter of Calvin's Institutes. Oh, I think I have a copy in, in the church library uh, because I've always, uh, I made it very clear. Like I won't even ordain anyone to ministry unless they've read the first couple of chapters of Calvin's Institutes because I think it's so critically important demonstrating the, the how you have to have everything to be God-focused. So like if you're going to make a reference to Calvin there, let's get the whole concept. He does speak of self-awareness, but self-awareness only occurs once you have God and understanding of God. Calvin makes it very clear like you, you'll never see things accurately. You'll never see things as they are until you see God as he is because God changes our perception of everything. See, it's almost like he uses an illustration like if the only color you've ever seen is light brown or, or they all, no, the only color you've ever seen is black. If the only color you've ever seen, everything you've ever seen is black, 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 black. That's all the only color you've ever seen. Everything is black. And then someone introduces a color kind of a light brown. You'll be like, wow, look at that. Look at that light brown. It's going to look, it's going to look completely amazing to you, but you're comparing light brown to black. But when God comes in the picture, he's 
perfection. He's holy. He's pure. He's perfectly white without spot. That makes you realize everything you've seen and how you've judged everything is completely incorrect. In other words, you need a the, the source of truth, reality, and morality so that you can see that your perception and everything around you, you've misunderstood it. Like if you're going to re- reference Calvin for crying out loud, it li- and again, they, even here they don't reference scripture. He's like, he's like you know, well, too many people, notice, some people think this is just too much about self. So then he goes to a quote from, not even a full quote from Calvin. He references Calvin in the first chapter of the Institutes without even going to what the entire chapter is about. But guess what he did not go to? The words of Jesus that says, die to self, deny self, and stop following self, follow him. (laughs) But this is Christianity today, all right? We're going to stop here in just a second. Uh, And to, to, to assess what we find, you'll have no ability to understand one's need for grace, mm. right? Or to repent. To repent, yeah. uh, to turn around, uh, yeah. to, think, to think anew about who you are. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that this is part of, of the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the story I've been living in? Is it the right story? Is- okay, now, oh, if I know, I won't know to repent. I won't know I need grace unless I know myself. No, no. If I just look to myself, I won't know. I won't know that I need to repent. I have to look to myself in the knowledge of God. Oh, this is so, oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Okay, let me, let me make it clear. If a person just looks to themselves, looks to themselves, looks to themselves, they're not going to look to themselves and go, I need grace. I need repentance. No, you have to look to yourself after you've obtained the knowledge of God. Because once you know that God is holy and God is perfect, perfect, perfection, then you look to yourself, you'll see how imperfect you are, how sinful you really are. Then you will know you will need God. Looking to self without the knowledge of God will not lead you to God. You look to yourself with the knowledge of God, then that will make you realize how much, uh, how much you need God and how different you are from God. This is like... Oh, this would, oh, oh. this is the problem. This is the problem. This guy has studied the Enneagram so much. He's written books about the Enneagram. Clearly, he's not even taken a, a basic understanding in theology proper, not even a basic understanding of theology. And the church has so abandoned theology that we don't even understand when we accept and buy into philosophies and ideas that are contrary to a biblical understanding of life. This is maddening. Okay, we're going to have to stop there. Well, one hour and 25 minutes. Oh, man, 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 man. All right, so here's what we're going to, a couple of things quickly. Number one, the rest of this podcast is currently at theologycentral.net. We are at the 36 minute and 12 second mark. 36 minutes and 12 seconds. You can go to Theology Central, just fast forward it and listen to the last 35 minutes on your own. And then if you want me to talk about any of it, email me at newsif at yahoo.com and let me know. All right. I, I, because I, I didn't will spend an hour and 26 minutes, 26 minutes on this, but I forced myself into this because uh, my personality is like, oh, look, 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 look. I just got a new notification. Okay, we got to talk about it right now. And so I did that. And well, then I am now reaping the consequences of it. Now, the whole reason I told that story at the beginning is I want you to just realize I didn't need a personality type to figure that out about myself. 
Now, what I've got no problem trying to understand our personalities, understanding what we do, maybe even trying to figure out why we do it. But from the biblical perspective, I'm like, okay, I see strength in that, that, that I want to be relevant and talk about what's going on so that I can minister to people and not be reactive, but try to be proactive and talk about things right at the beginning so I can give people a biblical worldview. That's great. But I can become so compulsive about it that literally, if I'm not careful, I'm going from one thing to another and then not talking about things from a more biblical and theological perspective. In other words, there's got to be balance. So, so I, I mentioned all of that just to try to show you not only why we're talking about the Enneagram, because I kind of got myself into this, but how my own personality and my own liking a certain way of doing things is so ingrained in me that it motivated me to do what I did. I can figure that out without an Enneagram, without spending all this time figuring all of these archetypes out and all of this stuff. I'm not saying that any of that cannot be beneficial, but it is not beneficial when it replaces Christianity not only replaces Christianity, is giving you concepts that are actually contrary to Christianity. He has not done anything to demonstrate that this is compatible with Christianity. What he's doing, he's replacing this, he's replacing Christianity with this entire structure. You need, not only do you need to know the Enneagram, you need to know how these are archetypes of stories. You got to figure out the stories. Then once you figure out the stories, you got to figure out your story. Once you figure out your story, you've got to own it. Then you got to, then you got to just try to rewrite it. It, This is all self, 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 what you do, 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 all the things you need to do. And it completely, he's not talked about salvation, sin, redemption, sanctification, nothing. All the biblical terminology has been thrown out. And then when he tries to justify it, he doesn't even compare what he says with scripture. He runs to one statement that John Calvin made and a chapter that he's completely misrepresenting the message of that very chapter. This is fraudulent. The whole thing is messed up. The whole thing is not Christian. And if this is Christianity today, God help us because Christianity no longer exists. There, can I, can I be any more blunt or direct than that? Now, I know they would be greatly offended at what I am saying, and they would greatly disagree with me, but that's okay. You go on with that Christianity. Fine. All right. I'll sit here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I'm going to approach Christianity from a very different perspective. All right. I'm not going down your path. I'm, I'm rejecting it. And that's fine. You've got the popularity. You've got the, you, trust me, they've got the platform. They're, they're on Christianity today. I'm on, I'm on nothing. I'm not on a no radar. Okay. So I understand that. But choose which way you want to go. I think that way is not biblical Christianity, and I will stand. I will stand my ground on that, and 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 I think I can prove it biblically and scripturally. And 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 not only that, just church history would 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 demonstrate that what they're talking about is something completely. Everything they're saying is so contrary to basic Christian thought. So there we go. All right, um, and if I'm going to write this down just in case someone decides they want me to continue, um, but I think we've demonstrated it, this. Um, I'm going to go to 36.12. There we go. I wrote it down, and I'm going to stop there. I apologize. Oh, there's so much more we needed to do. Ah, so frustrated with myself, and I do apologize. If, oh, man, my intro was garbage. So irritated at my intro, but uh, nothing. I, I almost, I literally... I got so frustrated with the beginning 
that uh, that I all, in my mind, I, I I just completely forgot that I was live on the air, and I literally just got reached reached over. I was getting ready to hit stop and start over, <laughs> and then I realized, you idiot, you uh, you're live on the air because there was too many concepts I was trying to get through. Uh, yeah, I just messed it all up, but nothing I can do about it now. This is now live on the internet. It's out there for the world to hear, and uh, so whatever criticisms you have, I, I'm very aware of. That's so frustrating. Yeah, I feel like, why did we waste our time doing that? Well, the reason we did that is because, well, it's on Christianity today. So someone needs to address it because that's not Christianity. Yesterday, today, or tomorrow. That's not Christianity ever. Thanks for, thanks for listening.